In Jesus' name we have prayed. Father, thank you. We know you are here. We are in for a good time again this evening. Yes, we are. We give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's declare the word of understanding. Now what we do is that we, we declare together, we lift our voices, and we speak to the realm of the Spirit to activate the grace to understand. Understanding is not by strength, it's not by education. It's not by how much you have learned. It's by how much the Holy Spirit reveals to you. And that's why we do this, to connect with the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. So we declare these words together. If you are ready, say amen. Amen. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. His word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? Amen. Now, if you have declared that, that's what you have received today in Jesus' name. Amen. Once more I say it, if you have declared that, that is what you have received in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please greet somebody on your left and your right as you take your seat. Tell the person, you're welcome. God bless you. Good to see you. Now, no, you're sitting right, okay. Good, you can see too. We we'll ask somebody, are you an anointing booster or an anointing killer? Make sure the person answers you. Make sure the person answers you. Now, because we have so many people who are coming for the first time, may not understand the meaning of anointing boosting and anointing killing. Anointing killers are those that discourage the preacher. But when somebody that they praying, I told my wife, there's one woman behind me praying, she has a demonic spirit. My wife said, why? So the time they were praying, I saw you, they look. <laughs> you know that these people are not with us. That's an anointing killer. When you are teaching the word, an anointing killer will stretch his or her leg forward, put the head backward, and be looking at it like, bless me if you can. <laughs> Try your best. Somebody went to preach somewhere, finish. One of the elders of the church, I didn't say, yes, you did well. I said, that's an anointing killer. I am preaching, you are assessing whether I'm doing good or I'm doing bad. That's how you know them. They are not there to learn, they are there to assess you. One man wrote us a mail, say he has heard what I'm saying on radio. He sees that I have a good spirit. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> Checking whether I have a good spirit. And I said that we need to see. We need to see. So we can talk. My mind, if I see you, <laughs> maybe I'm jobless. I have nothing else to do. So an anointing booster, however, when they say open to Genesis chapter 1, even though they have read it many times and they can quote it by heart, they will still open there. When they are reading it, they will read too. They won't be there staring at the pastor, confusing those of us who know we are very handsome. They make us think we are more handsome than we really are. Are you getting my point? We know we are fine. Our mother told us long ago, our wives tell us all the time. So don't add to it. Don't worry. Just pay attention to the word of God. When I say open your Bibles, 
Open your Bibles. If by chance you didn't come with a Bible, share with somebody beside you. Do you get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Show like you are interested. Don't doze off. If, if you doze, and I know you, I will stone you. <laughs> so an anointing booster, we cooperate with you, encourage you. Once, what's, the, what's the name of this man? Um, Rick Joyner. Rick Joyner said, you know in America, they have a general belief that the blacks are the best preachers. T.D. Jakes was rated for many years by Newsweek or Time Magazine, one of them, as America's best preacher. Rick Joyner said, no, they don't have the best preachers. They have the best audience. <laughs> that was Rick Joyner. He said, no, it's not like the blacks have the best preachers. He said, but their audience, they are the best in the world. <laughs> He said, when your audience is with you, there's where the anointing flows. And that the black, black churches, they are, oh, they are good with it. In fact, they overdo it. I told you once I was in the church in Atlanta. The guy beside went for our, one of our brothers went to church on Sunday. I wasn't, I wasn't preaching. I just went to one of our brothers to church. My wife and I. The guy beside me, I wanted to ask whether he was okay. Because he preached from the beginning to the end with the preacher. The preacher says, the normal guy, maybe about my age, Black man sitting beside me. The preacher says, Genesis chapter 1. He'll say, Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> he did that thing from the beginning to the end. Everything the preacher said, he nodded. He mumbled. He agreed. He said amen. And his, his, uh, his feet were tapping all the time. He was agreeing from the beginning to the end. That's why Rick Jenner said they have the best audiences. That the black audiences in the U.S., and the, so their preachers are very good. And really, if you watch them preach, they are good. Black preachers in America. All right, the Lord is good. All of this talk, just for you to ask your neighbor, are you an anointing killer or an anointing booster? <laughs> Make sure they answer you. Tell the person I'm watching. I'm a, but please don't jump out of your seat to encourage you. <laughs> the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, let's start our, our, our teaching for this evening. We are going to go again to the book of um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read this, then do a quick recap so that we we'll know where we ended actually two weeks ago. Because I was not around last uh, Saturday. We were in Port Harcourt preaching. And we had a nice time. I don't know how many of you bothered to join us by live streaming. Let's just start from verse 11. This was Moses telling Israel what God did for them and which was written for us to learn from. He said, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. How do you forget him? By not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten, that is if you don't take it to heart, if you don't beware, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What are the things he did for you? Verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with his fairy serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. 
In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you for the purpose of doing you good in the end. Now if you forget, if you don't beware, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. My degrees, my qualifications, my ability to walk from morning till night made me this progress. You will say those things. He said, but this is what you should do. But you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. That he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. He said, it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God. And go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you shall you will surely perish. Like the nations which the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, why would we read all of this? The way life is is like this. There is a spiritual dimension, and that is a foundation. And then there is a physical dimension. The connection between the spiritual and the physical is what we're trying to explain. Don't ever forget it. There is a connection between the spiritual and the physical. The spiritual is a foundation. The other time I talked about the forgiveness of sins. When sins are not forgiven, they, they affect the things that happen to us, physically speaking. They affect things that happen to us. When sins are not forgiven, they create problems in life. Now, this is one of the confusions that life has. If you don't know how to interpret life, you will interpret it based only on what you can see. And that's why I taught then what I call the foundations and pillars of financial prosperity. That many people who write books on how to succeed in life, they're only writing about the pillars. Why? Those are the things they can see. Foundations are underneath. Foundations are buried you spend, you want to build a building that's going to cost maybe a billion naira. And maybe like, um, let's just say as an example, maybe it's going to be like 25 floors. A lot of money is going to go into it. A huge chunk, maybe 20% of your money, will go into digging a foundation. So it will be covered. Now, if somebody came from Mars and they don't know how we did things on the earth, he will go back to Mars and build a building that's 20, 25 stories high, and then the first breeze, it will go down. He will not realize that what he could see when he was on the earth was the superficial aspect of it. But underneath is something that is harder than what he could see. The foundation is the strongest part of the building. It has to put a lot of iron rods, very rich cement, solid, you know, solid concrete. They put it there because they know it's going to carry a lot of weight. Then they bury it. You understand? But people who are analyzing it, they only see the things that are above the surface. So they write books. Do you get my point? They write books on how to succeed in life. They write books. Why? Because they saw somebody. These are the things he did that they could see. Then people start doing them. And you know what happens? They don't succeed. They succeed for a short while, then they fail. Somebody will say, this is how to build the biggest church in the world. They start copying all the things they saw the pastors of the large churches do. And it doesn't work. And they get frustrated after a while. And the reason is simple. They are copying the things that are outward. Foundations are difficult to copy. 
sometimes the people, the person you are copying, even, even if you ask him, he won't even know how to tell you. Because the Bible says he himself does not know how. Are you getting my point? He doesn't know what to tell you. So that's why we have to be careful. I've said it. That's why we have to go to the word of God. We have to listen to those who teach God's words so that they can tell us what is really, what are the things that really matter in life. Things that are used to build the foundation of our lives. So the spiritual aspect is the foundation. Let's not ever forget that. We all know that. Okay? And we said that Paul wrote extensively about the spiritual aspect. He will tell us the fact that we have been forgiven in Christ. He will tell us the fact that all things have passed away. He will say a lot of those things to us, but many times that's not our experience. Many times we don't see those things that Paul said. We can't see them yet. Are you getting my point? We, we look, you know, Paul said that um, uh, you have been that your sins have been wiped away by the washing of uh, the blood of Jesus. But then you look, and what happened to your brother is happening to you, and he's not born again. What happened to your cousin is happening to you, and he's not born again. Let me explain the principle to you all again. Let's never forget this. The, uh, the life is broken into what, uh, what I would call days. What do I mean by days? God spoke to Moses. He said, go and tell the people to sanctify themselves today and tomorrow. On the third day, I will come. Now, so you see, the first two days are the days of sanctification. The first two days are the days of preparation. The first two days are the days by which we get ourselves ready for what God wants to do. I hope you're getting my point. That those are the first two days. Then, on the third day, he will come. Now, what do I mean by that? Look, look at this. This is a very good example. So, John the Baptist, you will notice, John the Baptist... The Bible says he came with a baptism of repentance for what? The forgiveness of sins. Now listen to this. Most people that Jesus healed, most people that Jesus ministered to, they were already forgiven of their sins by the baptism of John. I hope I'm hope getting my point here. Now, John baptized for years before Jesus came on the scene. People were receiving forgiveness of sins, but John the Baptist did not do any mighty work. But you see, he laid the foundation for what Jesus would do in the lives of the people. So Jesus would get up and walk into the pool of Shalom, the porches beside the pool of Shalom, and point to one man and say, you, do you want to be made whole? You understand? And that one will start telling stories. And Jesus would say, hey, wait, wait, enough of the stories. Get up, take your pallet and walk. And the man would take his pallet and walk. And did not even know who Jesus was. So we can't say he had faith in Jesus. He did not know who he was. They came to him and said, Why are you carrying your bed on a Sabbath day? He said, The man who said I should get up. He said I should carry it. If he's saying I should get up, could make me walk. Am I supposed to disobey him when it comes to carrying bed? Who is the person? It's one guy. He's about uh, the height of John the Baptist, you know? You know, I, I saw him. If I see him again, I'll recognize him, but... He looked, around, he looked around, he didn't see who it was. Then finally Jesus came to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, who is it that I might believe? Ask yourself, why did he go there, pick one man, healed a confused human being, and walked away? This is my conviction. That man, with all his troubles, he, has, he had managed to receive the baptism of John. And John had told him, there is one mightier than I that is coming. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I hope you're getting my point. So when Jesus came, that man was already forgiven. 
Now, but what I want to emphasize is the fact that for years after they were forgiven, many were still sick. I hope you're getting my point. The woman with the issue of blood, by the time she has been forgiven, she still had the issue of blood. By the time John administered to her, her problem hadn't gone away. But it had prepared her for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Look, go and read the book, Great Faith Can Be Yours. You don't just wake up in the morning and decide that I want to tear the hem of his garment. Certain spiritual things had gone on in your heart to prepare your heart for faith. I'm convinced for most people, it was the teaching of John, the baptism of John. Now, but what I'm trying to emphasize is that, you see, there was a gap between them and when Jesus manifested their deliverance for them. So the fact that somebody is still experiencing what his cousin is experiencing is not proof that he has not been forgiven. The fact that in the family, yes, he said in this family, and nobody makes it in life. Uh, he said, I've given my life to Christ. How come I've not yet made it? It doesn't mean you have not been forgiven. It just means that there is a, now let me just put it like this. There is a Jesus you need to see. Are, are, are you getting my point now? <laughs> I mean, you've been forgiven. We're looking at John now. But Jesus is coming. There is that you know, Jesus has forgiven you now, but just talking about using those, that John and Jesus thing, okay, to explain. There is something you need to do. There is a pool you need to go to, to go and wash your eyes. There are things that need to be put in place. The way curses work, I've said it many times. When, a, when somebody is cursed, hmm, there are many manifestations. One major manifestation is foolishness. Sometimes, you know, I've seen people make decisions and it's paining you. You are looking at an adult do things that he has reasoned and he's sure this is the right thing to do. And you, it is paining you that how can an adult be this stupid? He will not do what is wrong. Now, please, let me try and get back to the, get to the point where we stopped uh, uh, last time. That was two weeks ago. Okay? So I can continue. So the man will not do what is wrong. And then problems will come. Now listen to this. Usually, when a man is blessed, now listen to this carefully. If that man that was cursed becomes blessed, hmm? the first sign of his blessing is not that things suddenly start working well for him. Sometimes, the Lord does a miracle for him. So that despite his foolishness, something good happens. But listen to this, normally it is temporal. It doesn't last long. He just gets a huge chunk of money, pays his house rent, you understand? Does some things, then he's back to zero. And he's wondering, the God that did breakthrough for me last year, why is he not doing it again now? And the man is confused. What he doesn't realize is that the curse that was working in his life before made him foolish, made him non-productive, made him unwise in the matters of this earth. And therefore it ran down into poverty. Then he got a breakthrough, a miracle, there's a message I've, a series I've listened, uh, I've recommended here before, all right, talking about um, how to get God's best. And one of them, we talked about blessing versus miracle. And you see the difference. I like the way he analyzed it. I don't have them in my head now, but I can remember a few. One of the things he said is that a miracle solves an em- emergency of a problem. It's just enough, like manna. You couldn't store it for a long time, but a blessing is abundant. You can count on a blessing. You can't count on a miracle. A miracle waits. You're about to die. Suddenly, he snatches you out of the jaws of death. That is what a miracle does. A blessing is not like that. A blessing keeps one million naira in your bank account. 
And you know it's there. Do you follow my point? So you, before the need comes, you write the check, say, don't worry, when you get there, it'll be money. They need 200,000. A blessing has kept 1.5 million there. Do you get my point? And then it's not an emergency. The need comes, you know the money is there. It's not a big deal. All right? Now, blessings hardly. You need spiritual training. Listen to this, though. For you to testify about blessings. They're not dramatic. You need spiritual training. Let me give you an example now. Many of you have not taken a tablet of any sort in the last few years. If they say who has a testimony, you don't have a testimony. You have not taken a tablet. You've not seen a doctor. They have not checked your temperature. They've not, put, they've not checked your blood pressure. And that's for the last few years. The doctor has not done that to your eyes. Pull down your eyes to see your conjunctive, whether you are pale or you are not pale. In the last five years, six years, seven years, ten years, yet, when they say who has a testimony, you don't have a testimony. The person who is testifying is the one that fell sick last week. And the doctor said he would need a new kidney. And then they prayed. And then they came back and did the test. And the doctor said, Are you sure that this is, you're the same person we said was in chronic renal failure? No, it's not you. Say, doctor, it's me. No, I mean, your blood analysis is showing that you're perfectly well. Come to church, pray, pray, praise the Lord. And you that God has kept well for eight years, you're wondering, why has he not done anything for me? So God is saying, there's no problem, I'll soon do something for you. <laughs> I will send you to hospital. You will die. Then I will raise you up from the dead. Are you happy? <laughs> in, that, in those messages, Andrew Mark said, there was a time he asked the Lord, how come you have not done anything for me recently? God said, no problem. Can we go back to those days? He said, lie, 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 lie. He said, those days he saw miracles. Oh, he saw miracles. He will, saw the, he will see the kind of miracles that you put fuel, 200 naira fuel, in the car and drive to Onija. People will say the car will stop, will stop. The car will stop, it will stop, it will stop. It will reach Onija. And then you turn, come back to Enugu. And they say, praise God. You will shout in a testimony. And the man who has been buying fuel regularly for three years, he doesn't think God has done anything for him. <laughs> he said, God must make me hungry first, then feed me with manna. But when the blessing came into his life, he stopped praying for, to God for cars. If he needed a car, he would go there, he would price it, and pay them cash. He refused to buy cars on credit. Servicing car payment every month. He said, no. I hope you're getting my point. So that's how it works, okay? So, listen. So the man, now, you know, you know there was something I was trying to say. So the man that God has saved, who God has forgiven, occasionally he will get a miracle. It's dramatic. It's very dramatic. But he doesn't get it often. Miracles don't come all the time. They're not predictable. It's as if you have to be in crisis before they come. So this man has been in crisis. God has shown him his goodness. But guess what? Miracles are not sustainable. Not as if God can't sustain them, but he doesn't. That's not how he works. That's not how he works. So this man is now wondering, what is wrong with me? And God is saying, you see, this is the point. The curse that kept you down before, it kept you down using certain methods. Those methods are still operating in your life. No matter how much I love people, I can't bless wrong precepts. I can't bless disobedience. I cannot bless wrong practices. So what I will do now, because now you are blessed, 
You are getting the point. Because now you are blessed, we will now retrain you in what is right to do. Now, those who don't understand will say it is because you know what is right to do, that's why you are prospering. They are not even enough to have correct. The truth is this. The reason why you are now prospering is that first of all, you were blessed. First of all, your sins were forgiven. You know we said that. That is the foundation. Now, upon that foundation, we are now building the pillars, the blocks, the deckings, the windows, the doors of right practices. Then people who don't know, we see your right practices and start teaching the right practices. Then they will do the right practice, but they will not be blessed. And that's what I've been teaching. Because those right practices are the connections between the power generating plant in Egbin and your home. They are the connections between your generating plant outside and the inside of the house. You cannot buy good wires and have power, you know, light up your bulbs, have your ACs work, have your televisions work when there's no generating power by plant anywhere. But generating plants are hidden. They are in Kanji. They are in Egbe. The house is working. All you can see is wire. But you see, without the wires, there's no power. Without the power, even if you have the wires, there's no power inside the house. Without the generator. Are you getting my point here? Very important. Let's get it clear. So we need both, therefore. First, we need the spiritual foundation, sins forgiven, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that hypothetical man we're talking about, God will now start teaching him. They don't behave like this. People don't spend money this way. People are responsible with money. When you get 10,000 naira, don't blow everything as if there is no tomorrow. You'll be eating, eating all by yourself. Say, look at food we have not seen in a long time. Eat for tomorrow we die. You understand? Don't behave like that. God now says, so the man will say, ah. So how do I do my money? The Lord now says, there is seed for the sower, there is bread for food. Seed for the sower has two types. There is spiritual seed, there is physical seed. And the man starts learning. He learns discipline. Are you getting my point? Then he learns how not to blame everybody for his troubles. God will have to teach people that, listen, your nephew, you should be the one helping him. Your neighbor is not the reason why you are not prospering. Ever since that woman looked at me like this, customers don't come to my shop again. God said, you will have to stop that. You will ignore those who are looking at you like this and ask yourself, why don't my customers come back? Then God will reveal to you that, oh boy, if they treated you, you, the way you treated anybody, will you go back? There are business people that you come to their business places. It's as if you are an irritation. It's nine now. We never open. And the man is wondering, like, did I come to beg or I came to patronize? Please, please, anybody wants to come back at 9.30. Ah. They say, okay, thank you. Then he goes to the other guy that opens by 10, but begs him and says, please, sir, we'll be open shortly. Please sit down here. Please, we're just trying to get things ready. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Your business matters to us. <laughs> and when banks call you, they first talk to you. Am I talking to Dr. Chooks Okonkwo? He said, Yes, I'm happy. We want you to know we appreciate your patronage. You know, you'll be like, uh-huh, That's why I'm deducting my money. <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> so the Lord starts correcting him. The Lord starts correcting him. He starts letting that, No, it's not my neighbor, it's me. You are getting my point. These are all the things we call the culture of faith. And that's what we have been looking at. 
I just need to emphasize it again, you know, because you know we're taking a bit of a break for some time so that we reconnect with ourselves. So we took the first one. That's the one we have been looking at, okay, which is why we read this. So we said that, why do we read that room, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8? To emphasize the fact that what God gives is what? The power to get wealth. It's, that's why we read that Deuteronomy chapter 8. People think that it's miracles. He will just rain miracles on your head. He doesn't do it often. He doesn't do it often. He does it only once in a while. Crisis time. But normally what he does is to give us the power. He teaches us how to go about our businesses. As an example. The last time we know we've, we've seen a number of things. We have seen the fact that Christians are diligent people. I don't want to repreach that message. We've seen that. They are diligent people. We are givers. We are givers. And when we talk about giving now, when you use the word giving, you know, Christians instantly talk about, think about what? Offerings. That's good. That's part of the spiritual seed. But I want you to remember that giving is beyond that. Giving is a lifestyle. That is, God put you on this earth to contribute something into the earth. And that is one method by which he adds material blessing into your life. He uses many methods, but that's one of the methods. That is, you put a skill in you. You will find out that you have the ability to teach. Okay? And he says, go out and go and teach. Don't sit at home and be praying for a miracle. I have given you the ability to teach. We are talking about the culture of faith. The culture of faith. The Christian is a diligent, therefore, teacher. If his gift, if her gift is to teach. Now, he will get rewarded for teaching. He will teach in a school. He may have his own school. He may be doing private lessons. He may be doing this and that. But he does that diligently. Everybody is a giver. The primary thing about him, about her, is that what do I give into people's lives? So that that is how God blesses him. Listen, as a matter of fact, listen, you see, this is the truth. Many of the poor countries of this earth, poverty has many reasons. It has many reasons. But generally, in many of the poor countries of this earth, the people are actually not hardworking. They are laid back. They relax. They don't understand why the government does not deliver bread to their doorsteps every day. They can't understand. Because you say there's no money. Are you not the one printing it? How can there not be money when you have the printing press? Like I said, there are many ways by which God keeps people in poverty. Natural disasters is one major way. Alright? One of the things I'm going to talk about today is another way is ignorance. They don't know what to do. You see them digging and digging. After digging for a whole day, they just make enough mounds to put in 100 tubers of yam. So no matter how hardworking you are, you will make a few hundreds of mounds of yam to prepare for planting. Which means you have committed yourself to harvest only 500 tubers in that season. So no matter what, you can't be richer than a man who gets 500 tubers in a whole season. How much is one tuber of yam? Let's even assume it is 500, uh, it's, it's 800, if okay, maybe it's 500 naira. It, it doesn't get that much more than that. 500 times 500, how much is that? 25,000. After nine months of hard labor. And you are still wondering why people are poor. They will be poor. That's one main reason by which people are also kept in poverty. But the one I want to emphasize, okay, is the fact that a lot of times people don't even know what to do. Sometimes systems will keep the fellow not productive. And no matter how much God blesses somebody, if you are not productive, 
he can't make you rich. Not because, he doesn't want to do that. It creates a wrong impression in the next generation. The next generation thinks that lazy people are the ones that, are, that prosper in this life. And God does not want to give that impression through his children. So it teaches us to be productive. It teaches us to be diligent. It shows us how. Are you getting my point? So what God does is to teach us a new culture. Some people will tell you that, hey, in our generations, we always have family breakdown. My uncle got divorced after 15 years of marriage. My auntie got divorced after 12 years of marriage. My cousin married last year. The thing is getting stronger now. You know, the curse. Say so the curse is getting stronger. Because my aunties, my uncles, they were demanded 12, 15 years. My cousin, five years. My sister, six years. So you see, the guy is not married. And the lady he loves, loves him too, and wants to marry him. He doesn't know the guy is looking and saying, I won't go be two years, leave him. Leave him, enough fish out. I don't want trouble. See, when you are counseling people sometimes, yeah, look, if you are a counselor, spiritual counselor, you must learn to pray. Because many times, what you are discussing with people is not what your problem is. You are saying God will supply. You think it's because he doesn't have a house of his own yet. <laughs> the guy says, house is not a problem. I can't parent. And the sister I talk to pastor, say, ah, pastor, I'm leaving him. This guy has been keeping me hanging for the last two and a half years. I'm not getting younger. I'm saving you from trouble, girl. That's what he's thinking. Because in his mind, it is rigid that if I marry you, we won't last five years. My uncle did not last. Check my, all my uncles and my cousins. Everybody is divorced. The one that didn't divorce is because the husband managed to die quickly before they could get the divorce. <laughs> are you getting my point? So you now pray to the fellow and say to him, listen, you are a Christian? He says, yes. You have been redeemed in Christ Jesus. He says, amen. In his mind, <laughs> my, co- my cousin was a campus fellowship president. He used to speak in tongues until the birds would gather to listen. He used to pray so much until the building would shake. On top of all of this, the redemption did not help him. We are counseling him. He's thinking something else. What he doesn't realize, let me make my point quickly, is that he actually, no, let's get it clear. Those things happening to them, are they curses? Oh, yes, curses exist. Curses exist. They do. They do. Read your Bible. Gehazi collected a curse donated by Elisha. It's there. The house of Eli collected a curse donated by that man of God that his name was not mentioned. The whole of the human race collected a curse. When Adam sinned, Israel was sin, and God said, I have cursed your blessings already. I mean, it happened. And it happens. People are cursed. Do you follow my point? So is it possible that's the problem in their home? Yes, it's possible. Maybe truly, maybe truly, one witch was happily married, and then their great-grandmother collected her husband, and the witch took the soil ate part of it, and threw the rest on the earth. And says, God says the Lord. (laughs) Yes, the way says, God says the Lord. I don't know. (laughs) Let me tell you the truth. Actually, it could be. It could have gone to the the throne of God. In spirituality, that's how they work. People don't understand. You go and petition and petition. And petition. And the judge will say, marriage instability 
is what you demanded for the sin that this woman and your former husband committed against you. And the woman said, yes, I insist upon it. And that's how things happen. And you will not know it's before God, it's before a shrine. But actually they are bringing the petitions before the God of the universe. And because there is no intercessor defending that family, the judge will approve the petition and sign it. So when I say, thus says the Lord, it sounds funny, but it's really not a joke. So the woman will come and say, none of you will ever settle in a home. And that's it, one after the other. Trouble. It happens, it happens. But we're talking about the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. What about when somebody gives his life to Christ? Now listen to what I've been trying to explain. What happened in that first instance, what normally happens is this. The, the spirit, listen, a spirit of jealousy will hang around the home. Possess the man. Possess the woman. And create conflict. A lying spirit will come and tell the man, you can't trust women. And for that reason, from day one, he starts hiding his money from the wife he married just a few weeks ago. Now he has a good intention of keeping things safe. Then the spirit will say, your husband does not trust you. And show her that indeed, can you see my point? The curse brings spirits into their home. Because they can't have the marriage breakdown so they do the works that break marriages down. Why? They have not really sinned against anybody. So even though the curse is upon them, it has to activate in their lives by their works. So after a while, in two generations, it has created a culture for the people. The boys will grow up saying that the men in our family don't take nonsense. They don't know that that culture is the reason why their marriages don't last. Now, the man who has been redeemed, who has been forgiven, what he needs to do, that's what I'm talking about, is first of all understand that indeed, there may be curses, but it's none of my business. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. It's a matter of fact. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. He has to understand that first. But remember what I've explained? Then, he now says, what are the cultures that enforced the curse? He looks around his home and starts walking by faith. So you can't trust women. You say, me too, I don't trust women, I trust God. And the God that I trust demands that I love my wife. And if I love her, I must trust her. I'm not a truster of women. I'm a truster of God. I'm a lover of my wife. In that spirit, we look. Rubbish man. <laughs> the spirit will leave him and go to the neighbor's house. Then the neighbor will start fighting. You won't know why. You drove the spirit. <laughs> no, that's how it works. Then the woman that, look, you know, there are women, they've, thought, they've told, don't let anyone put you under. You are a human being as much as he's a human being. You went to school too. When he talks, you let him know you have your own opinion. Okay. <laughs> but because they are operating the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, they learn the culture of Christianity. Yes. They throw those things away. And they say, what is, this, what is written concerning us? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Honor him. Respect him. As the church is subject to Christ. She learns it, imbibes it. 30 years later, have you considered that family 
Say those ones, they are crazy people. That's Satan talking now amongst himself with his friends. 30 years later, they are still waxing strong. And they not be like a light shining in the midst of darkness. Every other person in that family has marital breakdowns. But many times Christians experience that. Not because the curse is still working in their lives, but they did not learn the culture. They will still be saying that, you know, in our place. And God says, where is your place? As long as you say, in our place, you are tapping into the curses of the place. It was from that place that that witch took the soil that day and prophesied against your generations. You are still saying, in our place. Why don't you just recognize that you have been delivered from that domain? You are in a new one now. Those are the things we are trying to explain. That's how Christianity works. So people keep on talking about it. They think it's just prayer. They will go to church. They will pray, they will pray, they will pray, they will pray, they will pray. Holy Ghost, fire. The people that said, I will not prosper. Holy. <laughs> and the fact is that nobody could say they will not prosper. Nobody could say the marriage will break down. The people that said it, God has shut their voices by the power of the blood of Jesus. The only one that is remaining is in their life. So their prayers should have been, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of thy law. That's why, please go and listen to our series, The Most Important Prayer, that we'll talk about then. Psalm 119. We analyze Psalm 119. It's our school of prayer series. Please, get that series. Listen to it. So what does that do? We learn divine precepts. We learn the things that we are supposed to do. That the things that connect us with our blessings that are in the realm of the spirit. We've been looking at that one of financial prosperity, material prosperity. We've looked at the fact that, listen, as a Christian, we are diligent people. As Christians, we are diligent people. We believe God for miracles, but we are diligent people. We are not people that just sit down around and say, nah, man, I will fall from heaven. Manna, if manna is falling from heaven for you, you are living in the wilderness. In the promised land, there is seed time, there is harvest. Are you getting my point? We operate the principles that God has set in this life, and then they work for us. Now, one, of, one thing I want to add to what we'll be talking about, all right? I want to add that one today, all right? In the matter of uh, that financial prosperity. Remember what we've been saying? What he gives is power to get. Not manna from heaven. It's power. Power to create. I was listening to Chintok. Uh, many of you may have heard him preach. Uh, Chintok Ishaku is a pastor from uh, Joss. You know, I don't know whether he was, he was one that said it. It was a program we all went. He ministered there. I ministered there. Pastor Devon also ministered there. That school of worship organized by our sister in Asaba. Now, he, said, he made a statement. I don't know whether he was, he was quoting Pastor Devon. or was the one that said it. He was trying to explain, you've heard me some of these things before, <laughs> that it is not Christianity when Christians will gather to present their own candidate. Election is coming. Let's gather our own candidate. Support our own candidate. That is not Christianity. It's pure tomfoolery. We are just joking. Okay? Now, he was trying to explain a principle there. He now made a statement, which I want to talk about it. He said, when God wants to elevate a man, listen to this carefully, that when God wants to elevate a man, he creates a question in the society that only he can solve. He creates a problem that the man is the only one that can solve it. And what was he trying to say? How did he elevate Daniel when they are removed him from power? Who else could read the handwriting on the wall? Only Daniel. When he wanted to elevate Joseph, Pharaoh dreamt. All the politicians could not help Pharaoh. 
All Pharaoh's relatives could not help Pharaoh. All the professors could not help Pharaoh. They did not look for Joseph first. They looked for every other person first. It was when all the other people could not help that they now said, one man now said, eh, I remember, I remember. Ah, 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 ah. There's one young man. Where is he? He's in prison, sir. There was a time he locked me up. I dreamt a dream. My fellow Lockerpie was also... <laughs> he also dreamt a dream. <laughs> Two of us dreamt dreams. He dre- and he told us what to happen, and it happened exactly the way he said. Maybe we should call him, sir. And as now, you know the rest of the story. Pharaoh narrated his dream. Joseph gave him the answer. And look, see, there's what is called word of knowledge. That was a word of knowledge, interpretation of dreams. Then God now gave Joseph a word of wisdom. He knew what to do to fix the impending problem. That was how he became Joseph that we're talking about today. I hope you're getting my point here. God elevated him using the fact that the man had the ability to solve problems. The culture of Christianity. The culture of faith. That's what I'm trying to talk about. One of the things that mark Christians is what? Excellence. And they work in heavenly wisdom. I think I need to explain that. You know, why we need to teach some of these things is so that Christians, we expect them to happen. That's it. That's it. If you read the story of Ben Carson, you know, just go and read Ben Carson's story. Please, if you have not read the book, Gifted Hands, pick the book, Gifted Hands, and read it with a spiritual mind. You will see how God arranged things so that the blessing he had in his life could manifest. I hope you are getting my point here. Now you see, of course, he was diligent as, as a little boy. He was lazy. He was a layabout. He was a failure like every black kid around him. Until his mother prayed and God gave the mother wisdom. Remember this. If you have not read it, please go and read it. What was the wisdom that God gave Ben Carson's mother? Alright? First of all, Okay, let's just take one of them, Ben Carson, because there were two boys, Curtis and Ben. Now, he said, these boys will be great. Let's take one of them, Ben Carson. Ben will be great, but I don't just like to magnify stupidity. So make the boy wise. How do you do it? He's a little boy, let him read. And the Holy Spirit told the mother clearly, they will stop watching TV, they watch too much television. They will start reading. Just make them read. So the woman came and said, read two books a week. He created a culture of reading in the young man. Listen, it's a blessing. It's not just people want to treat the culture alone. You must have the blessing. Because that blessing made that culture work for him. The first day it worked that gave him confidence was that he read about something and the teacher asked about it in class. But in his mind, I don't know anything, so there's no need to talk. So what did he do? He kept quiet. After a while, he noticed that nobody said anything. And he knew the answer, so he put up his hand and said, let him try. And he tried, and the teacher was impressed. Make a long story short, he realized that if I try, I can learn a lot. So he began to try. That's how God began to change his life. Now, you see where I'm, where I'm going. Of course, God was working miracles for him. There was a time, all right, when he was in med school, pre-med, actually. He, he had a problem, you know, with, with say, certain subjects. And before the exam, a spirit appeared, an angel came, and saw questions for him on the board while it was written. Reading. By the time he opened his eyes, he saw that it was a dream or a vision, something like that. Came for exam the next day, and there it was. Do you understand my point? But that's how God was helping him. Now, the one I'm talking about is that as a resident doctor, 
He solved a problem in imaging. That is how they take x-rays to locate something in neurosurgery, a part of the brain at the bottom of the skull. The man just said, he just noticed that this is how we could do it. Make a long story short. He brought excellence into his work. Listen, is Ben Carson, is Ben Carson. It's not just God just said, okay, Ben Carson out of nowhere. When he finished training, he went to Australia and worked for like a year or two, I think a year, working like he was going to die, in quote, morning, afternoon, and night, until his skills became very sharp. I'm going somewhere here. You see, when God wanted to make him great, he taught him excellence. You know, let's understand what grace is. We have misrepresented grace. We make grace look as if, you know, I don't have to know anything. God can take me anywhere. That is true. But when he's taking you there, he makes sure you know something. He doesn't like to be disgraced. God says, you don't have to do anything. That is true. But that is in the beginning. Your beginning may be small. But listen, my guy, your latter end must greatly increase. When God wants to lift his people to excellence, to, to, to leadership, to prominence, he doesn't put people there that he's ashamed when they open their mouths. They will know, he, are you my point? He's ashamed of them. No. In Babylon, who was um, Shadrach? That is, uh, who was um, Mishael, Ananiah, Azariah, and Daniel? Who were they? Strangers. Foreigners. Captives. Let's make them work. Then God, then God possessed them with his spirit. But that spirit showed when they tested them. They did not, the king didn't recognize the grace on their head. You know, oh, I, I perceive that you guys are people of God. Hallelujah. When you are praying in the morning, my palace vibrates. Go, 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 go. I can feel it. I feel the anointing around you. I feel the anointing around you. Nothing like that. It is, where's the result sheet? Number one, Daniel. Number one and a half, Mishael. Ah, one, that is, you see it, all of them crowded between number one and two. Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Ananiah. Number two, nobody. Number three, nobody. Number four, nobody. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Next person, number 50. Are you getting my point? That the gap between those boys and the next set of people there was so great. The king said, no, I want those guys in the innermost circles where people work for me. Are you getting my point here? Listen, I'm talking about the culture of Christianity. One of the things we must understand in Christianity is that we, God has given us a culture of what? Excellence. He has given us a, yeah, no, let me put it like this. He has called us to a culture of excellence. He has not called us a culture of, you know, mediocrity that succeeds by grace. That's what I want us to understand. He hasn't called us to a culture of mediocrity that succeeds by grace. No. No, no. It's not, ah, you passed. Yes, so what happened? Hmm, favor is not fair. I was a fool, but I passed. I didn't know anything. They said count one plus one. I said, it depends on the mood. They said two times two. That day I thought it was three. Brethren, even though I said all of these things, hallelujah, I checked my scores and I was number one. Listen, anytime God does it, you know what he always says? See that you tell no man. There are miracles God does for you. He will say, please, 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 between you and me, let's keep this thing between us. I need you to pass that exam and keep moving. But please, this ignorance, it must stop. I don't like it. I like one thing. But if you go and read Ben Carson's story, he said something there which is very impressive. He said after that experience in which 
God had to send an angel to give him expo. Are you getting my point? It was expo. No, they call it expo. What will come next day? He saw it today. He saw it on the screen. An angel solved it for him. He knew the whole solution. He went to the class next day. He reproduced what he saw in the dream yesterday, on the vision yesterday, and he passed. Listen to a man of integrity, a man that God has blessed. He went back home and told God, thank you very much. Now, I promise not to put you in that kind of condition again, where you have to build me out like that. He said, from now on, I do my work. He wasn't saying, I'll walk by my strength. That's not what he was trying to say. He was saying that, ha, why is it that that is how God will build me out? He said, next time, let's do it the Daniel way. Next time, let's do it the Ananiah way, the Mishael way, the Azariah way. Let's go with excellence. Let's know what we are doing. He didn't go around bragging on his face. He said, God, thank you for your mercy. May it not happen again. The culture of excellence. It is not grace you are operating when you don't do your work well. It's not. It's not grace. It's not grace. It's not grace. What grace does is to make you good. I don't know whether you are getting my point. What grace does is that you want to calibrate something. You don't have the standard equipment to use. You use your ordinary hand, with your ordinary eyes, with improvised stuff. By the time you are done, people say, ah, which machine did you use? Say, bros, I couldn't get that machine, so I had to become ingenious. So, and then listen to this. And you are explaining to you, you know what you did, though. Now, let me say another thing to you. Don't think that I don't know what happened. It's a miracle. No, you can do it again. You can do it again. See, it's the culture of excellence. We were talking about what the culture of faith. Faith has culture. Christianity has culture. There's a culture about Christianity. That's what I'm going to emphasize to us. We don't prosper because we know to give one offering that God will multiply the next day and we don't know how how it happened. Sometimes when I hear testimonies, they, they get on my nerves. What I mean is this. This man gave all the money he had saved up for his foundation. Praise God. And the following day, God built a house for him. That kind of testimony irritates me. I want details. I want details. What do you mean God built a house for him? He was going on the road and then just said, move, move, move. A house fell from heaven. (laughs) Give me details. I don't like testimonies that he's God. We know it's God. Why I'm breathing now is God. Why I'm here is God. Why I'm crossing the road is God. I know. But even though it is God, I teach my children, look left, look right, and left again. When the traffic light says red to the cars and green to you, move. Does that mean I depend on them to keep themselves safe? No. Don't give me testimonies that make us look like morons. I am not saying, listen, listen, I need to emphasize this. Listen to me. One day, you will have saved up a money to buy a house, and God will say to you clearly, give out that money is for another project. Say amen. Amen. And you will do it gladly. Somebody say amen. amen. Why? Because you don't, look, you, you are not attached to material things. You are a child of God. So I'm, I'm Christians should do things like that. But please, forget this nonsense testimonies that when you do it, God will now build you a mansion. He won't build you anything. He has collected the money. The money is his own. You thank him. Say, Lord, I hope your money was okay. Should I add more to it? If you want something else, you ask. Let's gather one. Clear. I'm not saying Christians won't give. But I'm going to emphasize something. I don't like testimonies that, you know, you don't tell me anything. I know people, they've done such things. But when they hear their testimony, is impressive. In fact, there's one man I went to preach for as I was preaching. He was pacing up and down. 
I was talking. You couldn't sit down. He will get up. He will walk to the left, walk to the right. And it was my host in a fellowship. He will go to the left, walk to the right. And I was talking about boldness, confidence, not being afraid. Don't hold on to what you have because you don't know what will happen in tomorrow. There's a God opens a door for you. Be forceful, pass through the door. Don't worry. Invest your money as I was talking. I didn't know why he couldn't sit down. When I finished preaching, his wife came to me. She said, thank you very much, sir. Did you know that my, my husband couldn't relax? He said, <laughs> he said, everything you said, you were instructing him. There were doors that God had opened for him. Fear not let her enter. She kept analyzing. He said, so that was why he couldn't sit. I'm going somewhere. Now, the same person who told me a story of one day, how God, you know, they needed, there was a project, a mission project that was you know, open, that it was supposed to be done. He pledged money that was like three times his salary. Now, let me say something to you. I know people are saying that, eh, ha. so I should pledge three times my salary so I can break through. You will break down in Jesus' name. So let's leave that one. All these nonsense, greedy people, greedy people that are looking for methods to become rich. They love money. They love the world. I'm not the one teaching you. Are we now? Don't follow me. I'm not the one teaching you. I'm telling sound principles here. I was saying, eh, Pastor, so if I just pray three times my income, I go break, I go break through. You will break through the window and fall outside. <laughs> so leave that side. What did I say? Yes. Leave that side. Uh, let me preach my message because when you say some things, eh, <laughs> remember the story? I was, I preached somewhere. I said, why are you, why are you always greedy? Say, thinking of yourself before you buy a car for yourself. You say, give out a tire to somebody. One guy came to me at the end of the day. He said, sir, you are saying if I need a car, I should give out a tire. <laughs> Three-day seminar. That was the last day. I almost called everybody. Come back. Let's start again. Let's start again. That was not what I said. <laughs> now, this is what I'm making. That man, something like that happened to him. And I need to, I, will, I need to answer something for people quickly. I need to answer something for you, okay? Okay? About that. Do I do such things? I will tell you how to handle it. But for him, doors opened. To his surprise, he paid the money that he pledged. Then doors kept opening. You know, a job will open here. He will do it. Let's make a long story short. He kept on increasing. He kept on expanding. So when he told me this testimony, it made sense. When I say made sense, now it made spiritual sense. It's not as if I just gave 10,000 naira. I don't know what happened. He knew what happened. God opened a door for him where he was salaried. You understand? Suddenly a job came to town. You know, maybe, like a, maybe an NGO came. I said, please, we need people who can do this. He happened to be skilled in that area. So somebody referred him. He went there, got like a contract work, okay, where he was helping people do some things on the side. And that was paying him more than his primary place of work. Do you follow my point? Uh-huh. Now, just by the way, just by the way, let me just say something. He said, why did he pledge much more than he had to give? This is what, how Christians are supposed to do it. You don't pledge by faith. Except, now, let, let me summarize it now. God help me, God help me, God help me, help me. When I say you don't pledge by faith, this is what I mean. Don't pledge foolishly. One day I saw with the church, I wasn't there that day. Who will give a million? One guy come forward. Second service, who will give a million? He came, he came forward. The pastor said that whatever you do, God will prosper you. He didn't know that guy was a madman. You know some people that, they are just crazy in their behavior. After that service, guy will come to his pastor, okay, with anything for me, I won't go house. He pledged one million, two times. <laughs> pastor Corey said, when he was going to Sokoto, one man pledged one big amount. His guest minister, 
who encouraged people to support the work, was not advising him that when such monies come as a young church, you should know how to spend it. He told me, I didn't know how to tell him that. That guy, he pledged money and you believe it. <laughs> that I know him, he's a member of my church. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't have anything. We will still have to give him money to eat. You understand my point? He does not have anything. <laughs> now that's why I, mean, I don't pledge crazily. There's what the Bible called godliness with contentment. You can decide that I will manage, maybe I earn, just to make it easy, I earn 20,000 naira a month. I will strain myself. I will live on 10,000 naira for the next three months. So I pledge that. Did you hear what I said? That's what it's called godliness with contentment. Don't be putting pastors on high jump or anybody. Making pledges you can't fulfill. Like I told you, God has helped me long ago, even before I started ministry. I don't believe pledges. I don't. If you come and say, Pastor, God laid upon my heart to give kingdom what 20 million naira. As you are saying it, I'm wiping your face, your words, everything you say out of my head. If, if I see you tomorrow, you said, uh, my pastor, you know, as we were saying yesterday, what did we say yesterday? You'll be surprised. You don't remember me. I don't remember you. I said 20 million. Oh, are you the one? Okay, okay. What happened to it? Um, I don't listen to you. I don't. Do you know why? You don't have 20 million. If you had, you would have given him before you talked to me. All these pledges is a sign you not get them. And why are you telling me? Why don't you pledge it in your heart? Why are you coming to see me, Jaguda? You want to impress me? Don't worry, I don't believe people. I don't, I don't, look, Apostle, I hope you don't believe anybody <laughs> in that area. Don't, most people are confused thoroughly. Some people pledge by faith. That's the one that makes me laugh. They don't have money. Many of us have done it before. He said, yeah, he has done it before. <laughs> I did it once in my life. Only one time. Even that one, it wasn't by faith, in that kind of faith. I knew how to play, play it, just that God refused to bring the money. I was supposed to... <laughs> Are you laughing at me? <laughs> what happened was that I was supposed to get a job the following month. I didn't get it for six months. <laughs> now I tell God, I want to pay you. No, I'm serious. I told him, how can I pay this bring the job? Where will I get the money from? <laughs> no, that, that was my own argument. I mean, it was between me and you. We, I, we did the calculation, me and God. We started and did the calculation. I wasn't asking for anything big, just routine job. Just routine job. NCSK month. They used to pay for this because he didn't bring it for six months. I should come and pay. Come and collect it now. Where will you see the money? The Lord is good. Now, now let me give, let me try and get back to what I was trying to say. Now, the point I'm making here is this. So you see, let's just learn the principle from that. So it's not just going. I mean, all you ever see is ten thousand. I go and pledge one million. Don't put anybody on high jump like they say. What you do is that make up your mind how you want to do it. It may be stressful. You may decide that, look, that my computer, I don't like it again. I'm going to sell it. But make up your mind when you want to do things like that. But back to the brother I was telling you about. He did something like that. But you know, when he began to describe for me the doors that God opened for him, okay, you could see how God was helping him. And that's something I emphasize to Christians. It's not that you just be going on the road. Manna will just fall from heaven. He does that once in a while when you're in the wilderness. But don't expect that your life will be like that. Do you follow my point? 
What, listen, let me say something to you about faith and foolishness. Sometimes we do things, people say they are doing it by faith. And Christians should walk by faith. Amen? Amen. But to the man of faith, what he's doing is reasonable. Though. If what you are doing is unreasonable to you, it's not faith, it's foolishness. Let me say it again. If what you are doing is unreasonable to you, it's not faith, it's foolishness. You will say, but Abraham sacrificed Isaac. Was that reasonable to him? Yes, it was. He said he considered that God could raise him up from the dead. To him, it was reasonable. He was so sure that sacrificed Isaac. Because he, first, let's not even talk about how he got Isaac in the first place. Isaac was an unusual child. 90 years of age, a woman conceived and gave birth. That was unusual. That's number one. Number two, Abraham has sacrificed a child before, Ishmael, except that he didn't have to kill Ishmael by himself. And Ishmael survived. Go and read the story. So now it was time to sacrifice Isaac. To him, it was what? Reasonable. His faith, you know, what we call faith is not, I don't care what's going to happen. No. Faith means that, all right, bow down or we will burn you. He said, I believe God, I will not be burnt. That's not faith. Faith is, I will not bow, burn me. Did you hear what I said? If they put a knife to your throat, deny Jesus, say Muhammad is the only prophet of God. You know, say, I won't won't agree, Jesus will deliver me. That is not faith. Faith is, you want to cut my throat? Start. The Lord, he is God. Jesus is Lord. Cut it. That's faith. Faith is not used to preserve your life. It's used to obey God. Go and read your Bible. It said they refused deliverance that they may have a better resurrection. That was a sign of faith. So don't even think that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were counting on deliverance. They were not. They told the man, we will not be careful. They said, I'll give you time to think. He said, Mr. King or Reverend King. What is his name again? Nebuchadnezzar. Said, don't worry about it. No need to think. That's what they meant when they said, we'll not be careful to answer you. That there's nothing to think about. What you are saying is we should bow to another God that's not our God. Said, don't worry about it. We cannot reason ourselves to that point. So whatever sentence you have prepared, carry it out now. These guys ain't changing their minds. That was why the man got angry and heated up the furnace seven times. I said, throw them inside, and you know the rest of the story. People think that before you go, you begin to declare, the fire will not burn me. I speak to the fire. Thou shalt not burn. I'm protected by an invisible aura of the Almighty God. That is why you were born. Because you are so full of preservation, your faith goes down, you will burn. As you are going inside, you will be melted like wax as you are entering into the fire. That is the truth. Those who don't burn, faith does not mean I know I will not burn. No, faith means... If it's for my Jesus, let us burn. After this life, okay, if we burn now, we get to heaven quicker. If we don't burn, we live another 40 years. So for what now? In the span of eternity, is there anything? So Lord, into your hand, I commit my spirit. Let's go. We won't deny Jesus for anybody. And listen to me. Some burn. Some are delivered. If you read our story here, this is our magazine. We printed the story of Polycarp. It's there. It's on page 9. 
When you get home, read it. When they arrested him, the men that arrested him were feeling bad. <laughs> Time to tie him down. The man said, there's no need to tie me. He said, there was no need. Deny Jesus. He said, for what? All these years I have served him. He has never offended me. And the man died. It was, it was difficult burning him, but finally he died. But God just made it clear that this man died because I said he should die, not because you can burn him. So let's know what faith is. I need to explain that thing about faith. Faith does not mean, I know I will not be born. Faith means that if it is to die for Jesus, you know, I don't know how many of you were with us in Lokav. One brother came and said in their church, what's the name of that girl that they refused to release? Dapchi girl. Leah. Leah. I, I should be released now. They said that because she refused to convert to Islam. One pastor now said that she should have just converted to Islam. That God will have understood that when she is released, she will reconvert to Christianity. Could she have done that? For me, it's a, it's a very stupid question. We should be celebrating the fact that she refused. You don't understand. People think that life is about living. No, life is not about living. It's not about being alive. Do you realize that that, that girl may be the seed that some, some Boko Haram boys will look and say, this small girl, what is in this Jesus that you people ate? You don't know how God works. He will possess that girl. The girl will not shift. Threaten her with everything. He wake up every morning. They say, say Allah, I say, Jesus is Lord. You will be amazed. When you finally hear the testimonies, you will not find that at night. One book around boy will crawl in and say, please pray for me. Or don't tell anybody you prayed for me. He said, don't worry. Put your head down here in Jesus' name. Be saved. Go back. That one will, will escape. It's when 10 of them have finished getting converted. They will realize something is wrong with this girl. They will throw her away. Or God says, okay, enough. She's done enough work. Behead her. They will behead her. Then when you get to heaven, you see her, you see her sitting on a throne that you'll be admiring. Go and pick final quest by Jonah and read it. How can somebody open his mouth and say the girl should have denied Jesus? For what now? What is the knife of Boko Haram? Let's understand what faith is. To the person walking by faith, what he's doing is reasonable. To the person is reasonable. When Abraham was sacrificing Isaac, to him it was a reasonable thing to do. It was the reasonable thing to do. That's what I want to understand about faith. It is not as if we are reasonable the worldly level. No, but by virtue of the word that has entered into our heart, when we stack the principles of the Almighty, when we stack the principles of Christ in our heart, we make our decisions, it will disagree with everybody else around. But to us it is reasonable. To us it is reasonable. We want to make decisions. People say, why will you do this? He said, ah, here, go and have your children, brother. Because to you, you know, you are wondering that, what now? That uh, they are tomorrow, you know, so that you can have it secure. He said, have them where? In America. Who told you America is secure tomorrow? I don't know whether you're getting my point. You're not like, I want to die. No, you're just saying, how do you know where you are telling me to go is secure. Why don't you think it's secure? Because the Bible says, "Cursed is the one who trusts in flesh, who makes the arm of uh, this, the arm of flesh his strength." He said he will not see it when good comes. To you, you are not being you are not an obojumano. No, you are just being reasonable. He said, ah, "No, let's do this business. Let's invest here." He said, "What you, you think it will work?" Is that? You reason it. He said, it's why are we doing it? You know, so that you know these children are growing. We have to secure their tomorrow. He said, no, we can't secure their tomorrow here now. 
You say to them, say, look, let us save up for tomorrow. They say, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. Did you not hear the words of our Lord Jesus? He said, do not lay up treasure on the earth. Why? Because moth does corrupt and thieves do break in and steal. To you, it's reasonable. So you don't say, finish all your savings. He said, if there's something to use it for today, we'll finish it. And another thing, we'll save itself tomorrow. And listen to me. You live like that. At the end of 10, 15, 20 years, you will look back and find that you were the reasonable person. Life will prove to everybody you were the one that had sense. And listen to me. All the while, you didn't think you were walking by faith. You thought you were walking by simple logic. Except that your logic is built on the word of God. And that is what God calls what? Faith. But Christians think that living by faith means I don't think. I don't wake up in the morning. I just cross the road. I don't look to the left. I don't look to the right. So they start doing things by faith. What they call do things by faith? They say, buy that land by faith. We'll build on it by faith. <laughs> That's what they call by faith. We go to bank, borrow 15 million by faith. We'll repay them by faith. They start doing gra-gra. And they call it faith. Actually, it's not faith. That is what Yoruba man calls oboju. Faith and Oboju are two different things. What is the English equivalent of Oboju? Just by force, by force. You know, how, which, how else can I describe it? Okay, strong head. That's good. You're just stubborn. You know, just using head to tear everything to pieces. That's what you're doing. It's not faith. For some people, it will seem to work. They say, that guy has faith. No, that's not faith. That's not faith at all. What faith is, is that I reason. And when I reason, I come to a conclusion which does not agree with the general, you know, the, the average person around. But to me, it is reasonable. Why is it faith? Because it is based upon divine precepts. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. You know, it's important that I explain that thing very well. Now, back to what we're saying. So you find out that, you know, I want you to do that, trying to emphasize the fact that what God has called us to is excellence. Bear that in mind. What God is giving us is divine wisdom. Now, I'm going to emphasize something here. So when we are doing things, to us, it is reasonable. When Joseph, that's why I went to all of that. When Joseph told Pharaoh what to do. Now, let me explain something to you. Do you, read your Bible word. Do you know Joseph did not use to pray, to interpret dreams? As you are in giving Joseph your dream, he doesn't understand why you don't understand. To him, it's obvious. He's so clear. You were carrying something on your head. On your head. Oh boy, your head don't go. You know, he, to him, he's just so clear. He's just so clear. He said, you, what happened? I had what? A cup in my hand. In your hand. You are back in service now. They serve with your hand. Can't you see that? How many loaves? How many birds? Ah, oh boy, three days. Your head is going. Why? You shouldn't have carried it on your head. Next time you enter a dream, remove it from your head. <laughs> no. I want you to understand. To Joseph, it was reasonable. To him, it was reasonable. So when Pharaoh dreamt a dream, instantly he knew the meaning. He knew the meaning. Ah, Joseph was saying, okay. Pharaoh was saying, all right. Fat cows, they were feeding on the grass there. That's abundance, sir. When people eat, that's when they become fat. Then lean ones, swallowed them, and they vanished. No. Okay, things are bad. How many cows did you say? Seven. Oh, that's seven years. 
Seven years of abundance. How many cows swallowed them? Seven or oh, seven years of famine. To him, no, no, listen. <laughs> it was very reasonable. You see where I'm going? Listen, one thing that God is giving Christians, and I want us to open our hearts to it. You know, the problem we have, Lord, we, we, we are closing our eyes to have divine inspiration. <clears throat> As I was going, I saw bread. You no, know, rearrange. No. You will just open your eyes. You are going to walk. I don't know whether I get my point. You will see a problem at work. To you, the solution is clear. Why can't everybody see it? But they can't see it. What you must never forget is that that solution is not that clear to everybody. The reason why you have it is that God has put the spirit of excellence and divine wisdom in your life. And he said, this is how I will make you prominent. He says, like I was saying, they have created a problem and I've given you an answer. It is that divine wisdom that makes you outstanding. And I said, I'm preaching to a Christian We expect things like that to happen. Listen to what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say. This is a culture of Christianity. Any work you do must be outstanding. You must always, in efficiency, in quality, in productivity, you must always aim to be just for ease of explanation. All right? This is not really what I want to say, but to make it easy to explain, you must always aim to be in the fifth percentile. That is the top. They scream the top of you are there. Actually, you should be beyond that fifth percentile. You should be setting the new pace for things that people are supposed to do. I hope you are getting all explained here. And the truth is that in life, there are always problems that God will give you to solve. I'm talking about the culture of Christianity. The culture of Christianity is a culture of excellence. The culture of Christianity is that we are the ones that solve difficult problems. Let's open our hearts to it. Christianity is not about claiming money by faith. Christianity is about living the testimony that divine excellence dwells in me. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That is what Christianity is about. It is about living the testimony that divine excellence dwells in me. That is why if they put you in a place where things are hard, you don't complain first. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You look, what am I supposed to do? Is this my opportunity to shine? That's what Christianity is about. I'm talking about culture. That's a culture. Look, listen. By culture, that is when they hear that these are people of faith. They know we are dependable. They know we are innovative. They know we are not people that like to give excuses. A lot of people, what they are looking for is, just find me the excuse why it cannot be done. Once I find that excuse, I can present it. But whether I have an excuse or I don't have an excuse, it was not done. And that's what God is checking. But it was hard. God says, that's why I give you wisdom. That's why... There's one one portion of the scriptures I'd like to read. Let's read this. The story of Daniel. We're talking about the blessing that we have in the realm of the spirit. Don't forget that. We're explaining how does this blessing come out into the physical realm. We're talking about material abundance. We're talking about material prosperity. Daniel chapter 5. We're saying these things. How do they come in? God has them for us in the realm of the spirit. The Lord said, put the circuits in order. These are divine precepts you walk by. This is how you walk. You are a giver. We've talked about what that giving means. You are, your faith is in God. It's not in material things. That's the first of all. And it shows in how you handle material things. You see your life as a gift. 
Now we explain the fact that you're working with divine wisdom. You pray to solve difficult problems. You are not one that's always looking for an excuse why things cannot be done. Now, you know, what I want to bring out here is what was Daniel was known for. Please, I need to read the story of Daniel in many places. Let's just take this one first. You know the story of um, handwriting on the wall? Mene, mene, tekel, anufasin. Everybody was wondering, what could this mean? The king's wise men came in, and they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. King Belshazzar had already put you know, out a reward. Anybody who can read it will be clothed with purple, a necklace of gold around his neck, and the fellow will have authority as a third place in the kingdom. Nobody could solve the problem. Now, let's read verse 10. Then the queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. She was speaking about Daniel. She said, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will, dele- or he will declare the interpretation. So another thing about Daniel I want us to quickly read before we stop reading, all right? Quickly go down to um, chapter 6. Now, when they plotted against Daniel, I just want to read this one quickly. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, and they will be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, what we call them ministers today, will set over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one. Then these people, now of course, the idea that the king would not suffer loss. Look at verse 3. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps. Are you following that? Because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. That is, he was amongst the three. God now said, okay, let me replace him amongst the three and make the three now submit to him. That's what he was trying to say. 120 report to three. Daniel was one of the three. So no, let's remove Daniel from one of the three and make the three who now appoint to report to only Daniel. And then the boy said, oh boy, there is trouble. We'll talk about it in a moment. But the point I want to bring out is this. Look at what the Bible says concerning him. He said, this man began to distinguish himself among the commissioners and satraps, that is among the three and among the 120. Why? He had an extraordinary spirit. He had an extraordinary spirit. We'll come back to that issue of that extraordinary spirit. But let's read verse 4. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of what? Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. That's what I'm going to read. Daniel was what? What are the qualities? 
No, no, I want this last three. One Daniel was faithful and had no negligence, and there was no corruption to be found in him. Three things faithful, was not negligent, he went to work on time, he didn't leave things in his hand, he didn't get done, and there was no corruption in him. All of this is because he had an extraordinary spirit. What is an extraordinary spirit? We'll talk about it next time. But let me introduce it now. Remember, we have a culture. We walk in divine wisdom. We believe in excellence. You know what? I have so much to say about the extraordinary spirit that I will not say it now. You know why? Because if I start it now, you know, in a short while I have to stop. And I will now, the thing will be so sweet, I will not be able to stop. So please, let me just do something. Let me emphasize the culture of excellence, divine wisdom. Introduce just slightly the extraordinary spirit. Then we'll go. But no, let me just say something briefly. Some people say that, Pastor, lay hands on me so that right now I will receive an extraordinary spirit. Receive it right now. No, that's not what it means. Extraordinary spirit just means he was not looking for what other people were looking for. What was pushing him was not what was pushing everybody else. Don't make it look like they will be possessed with an anointing. Right now, extraordinary spirit. Oh, ha! Oh, fall down under the power. Extraordinary spirit just says that if I put you in political office, my name is God, put you in political office, what are you looking for? First, you lend the spirit I gave the kings of Israel. Don't multiply houses. Don't multiply anything. Don't seek anything for yourself. Go in there and say, the only thing that is pushing me is that I must show for the glory of God. That is what they call extraordinary spirit. That is why you will not steal. I will talk about it next time. But let's end with this one. The issue of the culture of excellence. Listen, this is Christian culture. Let's start with students. Students, if you're a Christian, I taught my children the other day that you're not passing the exam because you want to get promoted. You are passing the exams because it is for the glory of God. If you are listening to this, the reason why you go to a class is because as a Christian, you must be in class. You must read. You must learn. You were not sent to school to pass. You were sent to school to learn. Learning is the reason you go to school. Passing are the things that are added unto you. That is why a Christian will never see the logic behind cheating. Because I have not learned. I have not learned. Please, follow what I'm going to explain. First, among the students, we want to learn. We want to learn well. We want to learn a subject on the subject knows us. I don't know what my point. There's a way you can know, you can know physics. But it's the way physics can know you too. You want to learn things until it's second nature to you. And for you, it's normal. It's normal. This one won't come out in the exam. Who cares whether it comes out or not? If I'm going to get bachelor's in chemistry, like I tell you, look, there are little things I will do everybody else will not do. I will know who wins the Nobel Prize for chemistry every year. If you don't know it, you're not a good student. Your BSc in chemistry is nonsense. Because if you really like chemistry, you should be careful. I mean, you should be concerned. I have a colleague. He likes physics. The day they announced Nobel Prize for physics, that is physics and mathematics, then for chemistry, then for medicine and physiology, he will send me a message. He said, Chief, Nobel Prize 
you know, list has been released. Of course, they do it bit by bit. He said, fix this out. You give me the name of the person. I said, what did he discover? Can you give me a small rundown? You know he likes physics. Yet you find people who are studying chemistry. You ask them, what is, is it? Uh, let me not confuse myself now. Let me just keep quiet. <laughs> who won the Nobel Prize for this year? They have no idea. Now, you say, why are you talking about Nobel Prize? What is important about it? I'm trying to tell you the kind of spirit I think you should have as a Christian. That, you, that is, not only do you know the subject, the subject knows you. You're not going to an exam hall because you want to pass. You're going to an exam hall because you have learned the subject. The subject, you and him, and it, you have become what? One. Let's leave students for, for a while. What about those of us who are working? Like I said, once I went to my mechanic. He was tuning my car using his ears. What, what, you know, good, you know, well-equipped places would connect things to machines and all of that. And I remember this was those days were using V-boots. You know, inject all these out problems. The man has scattered everything, repackaged it, was not trying to tune the car back. And he had something he just put in. And he would tell somebody to rev the engine. He would turn it, and you see, he would be silent, listening. Mm-hmm. He would wait, rearrange something, losing something, rearrange the other one. Then they would start the car again. What I noticed was that people gathered. There were different mechanics working in different places. They left what they were doing, and they all came to watch the master at work. I remember that day, I stood, I looked at them to the left and to the right, and I asked myself a question. I said, banking, what will you do? And people will gather like this to pay attention. And I had my answer. I said, better go and focus on it. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Now, I remember that day, I said, look at how everybody left their work to come and focus on what this man is doing. I'm talking about the culture of what? Excellence. That's what we must push for as Christians. The culture of excellence. If you are making clothes, <laughs> if you see cloth, that is, you see somebody's, what somebody's wearing, and it's finer than your own. It's not competition, no. It's not as we are competing. It's more of, what does he do that I don't know how to do? You don't sleep until you find out. You're not competing with him. You, know, you have seen that in your field of endeavor, there is something to attain you have not yet attained. There is something to do you don't know how to do. You're not competing with anybody. But you've just checked yourself. you checked inside, inside yourself. How do they do this? How come I don't know it? And these days of technology, <laughs> hey, you are online. You are Googling up. You are, listen to me. You are spending your money to go for courses to, to, you know, to, to, to improve yourself. You know how you know people that are not planning to prosper in life when God blesses them? Prosperity will be in heaven. God will keep it there. And that's what we are talking about. We are blessed. We are blessed. If you, are, if you know you are blessed, amen. amen. It's whether it will now come down to the earth or not. It's what we are discussing. One young man came to fix a car for me once. My younger brother, Deji, was still with me that time. It was years ago. But another car falls in the car. The guy was checking this, checking that. So Deji said, Deji has a degree in electrical electronic engineering. He works now in telecoms. So he knows all of these basic things. Okay, so he asked the guy, where's your meter? You know what the guy said? A guy will train me, not get meter. So they wanted to argue with him. I said, you don't argue with such people. Just know he's not planning to go far. There's no, there's no prayer he wants to pray. Poverty is his portion. Listen, it, it, that is not a curse. There are statements you make. The spirit of prosperity will leave you alone. He said, Pastor Frank, I say he will never prosper. No, no, no. I'm just saying that unless he changes that mindset, that's what I'm saying. If he said, sir, I just started work on my own. 
three weeks ago. I'm still looking for money. But there's a way we manage this thing. Meanwhile, electrician, you don't have a meter. How do you use your hand to check voltage? Maybe, <laughs> maybe there's a technique. Patent it. We'll learn from you. <laughs> but you didn't have it. I'm talking about the opposite of the culture of excellence. People like to make excuses. Once I heard one man play, they said, oh, the man who plays saxophone is very good. It's very good. I heard him play once. I said, this guy doesn't know how to play now. I said, this is what they call Sopata's club play. I said, this is not how to play the sax. One of my friends said, eh, are you comparing him with, um, he mentioned one of the uh, uh, people like Naji. He said, okay, because we had the, we had the city of Naji that time. He said, you're comparing with Naji. He said, Naji has a, tw- a 20 track synthesizer, multiplier, you know, a digital mixer. I said, no. I said, number one, I am comparing you with Naji. Yes. I said, but it's not the synthesizer or multiplier or mixer that we're talking about. We're talking about raw skill. I said, this guy does not have it. Stop pretending. Just because he's a Christian. All of us now gather. Our brother is playing sax. If you don't, in modern day, you can't play. Come on, get off from the platform there. Nonsense is that one. We must buy your music. You don't know anything. But just because you're our brother, I want to encourage you. We will encourage you by telling you the truth. The boy, you not know, anything. Go and learn. No, let, let's face it. Christians will be managing mediocrity and say, let's support our brothers. I'm not supporting you. You are lazy. A few weeks later, we got Mike Aremu. I called my friend. I said, now, both of them are in Nigeria. This is not Nigeria. I said, listen to this one. I told him, listen to this. What, what am I going to say? Please, the culture of excellence is a mark of Christianity. Whatever you are doing, you must be excellent in it as an assignment from God. Whatever you are doing, you must be excellent in it as an assignment from God. Without it, there's a degree of blessing and excellence that God, uh, blessing and prosperity that God has kept in heaven. Believe me, you won't see it. Grace does not just prosper you despite your inefficiency. Grace makes you efficient. Grace makes you good. Grace makes you excellent. It makes you remarkable. So next time we enter a Christian shop, we should know his faith by the quality of his work. Did you hear what I said? We should know his faith by the quality of his work. If she opens her mouth to talk to us, we know that this fellow knows God. And we are discussing cooking. You know? We are discussing fashion design. You know? We are discussing accounting. We are discussing law profession. We are discussing driving a car. We are discussing repairing a car. Yet you open your mouth to talk. We say, ah, ah. Something is inside you that is not inside the next person. The glory of God in the life of a believer is not something you feel by extrasensory perception. Anytime I come around you, there's an aura about you. Look, listen. That one, when we get to church, we'll discuss it. When we get to the market, we don't want to see aura. We want to see excellence in what you do. That is what speaks for your God. Let's bow down here to pray.